0: If you saw the new Biden ad that was released this week, it's, uh, it's, that's a president. It appears to try and out masculine Trump. Um, it looked to me and sounded to me kind of like a truck commercial. It was a very weird moment because it's, um, the Biden campaign hasn't done this in, in this way up till now. And I, I'm worried about you know, how much this entire race is going to smell like X body spray by the end of it. I wanted to talk about the way in which the framing of this campaign is, is taking place. And some of the, Potentially problematic ways that we are discussing the virtues that make someone a, a good president of the United States. Because as we as we've definitely saw in 2016, but, you know, drilled into us in every history class news article and, and you know, television program you've ever watched or read or paid attention to is, you know, there's a, a, a strong preference for wealthy white and male. That's very much ingrained. But there's also a lot of this kind of subtle masculinity and a lot of really ableist language too. And that's actually why I want to bring in Rebecca Coakley, who's the director of the, Disability Justice Initiative at the Center for American Progress. She was at the National Council on Disability before that, and before that, the Obama White House. Rebecca, thank you so much for spending some time with me at the table.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jared. It's wonderful to be here.
0: I am so glad to have this conversation. You know, last month you wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post talking about discussions about health and fitness for office and the ways in which some of that was really problematic. This is for people who... I say last month that feels like a million years ago in the news cycles. Right now, it was after you wrote this specifically after the West Point, you know, bottle and ramp issues, and uh, the the way in which uh, you know people like the Lincoln Project and others were kind of pouncing all over the president and some of the language. Can you take me through why you thought it was? A problem then, and why it maybe you know, still me, a problem now? For me, it really now.
1: just allows people to get away with a very superficial um, analysis of what this administration is doing. I mean, just like back uh, when the president was openly mocking uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Serge Kovaleski, who's a, a foreign policy reporter who happens to have a disability, um, and people were like, "Well, this should have automatically disqualified Trump," it didn't. And and we're all living with the implications of that today. And And being able to just point at something like that and be like, well, he sucks because he does X really gives people the opportunity to criticize without actually delving into the fact that like disabled people are dying every day because of the decisions being made by this administration. Disabled children are going uneducated because of the rules this administration has pulled down. We're fighting for our health care. We're getting deported. There's not a single issue that the president is approaching that doesn't have a life-altering impact on our community. But sure, make fun of the guy because he struggles drinking water or walking down a ramp.
0: Here's the thing that I struggled with, because the president himself seems to invite this kind of discussion because of the way in which he focuses on his own virility, masculinity, his ability, whether it's cognitive or physical or whatever. And, and just the, you know, no one can mock the emperor's gate Mm -hmm. because of, because he demands that nothing is criticizable. It seems like there's an opening here. I would imagine that's not a very persuasive argument for the people who suffer as a result of, the pile on that happens every time something like this comes up.
1: Definitely. I mean, to me, we all, it's very similar to how the disability community is forced to respond every time that there's a mass shooting, which is we sit and we hold our breath and say, please God, don't let it be one of ours or don't let them immediately assume that it's one of ours, which is immediately where media tends to go. Well, like, let's find out is this, Because the only person that could sort of do this thing is someone who clearly has something physically, mentally or socioemotionally wrong with them. Um, And it's very much that sort of thing for us as well, because, you know, people very quickly jump to the response that, well, someone like him shouldn't be president because they're clearly not right in the head or they're clearly uh, there's something wrong neurologically versus saying, no, you all voted for him. You have to accept responsibility. You created this mess that we're all now living with. And it's really easy for you to blame it on a disability versus actually hold yourself accountable for the decisions that you made.
0: And, and you mentioned, obviously, some of the real impact on the community of disabled people and the Trump administration, who are notably bad on for many different communities, uh, doesn't seem to have uh, left this, this one untouched. But let me ask you, though before we kind of move away from kind of the meat of the, the piece that you wrote, again, this was an op-ed in the post last month, and I'll make sure for people, if, if you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, I'll make sure it's linked in the episode description. There's a difference though, between a kind of rampant, irresponsible discussion of health and fitness for the office and a real conversation about You know, the 25th Amendment clause, which says that the vice president and the cabinet have a certain assessment to do and say, is this person unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office? How do we manage that? There has to be a way to have that discussion because it's in the Constitution. How do we do it in a way that's better if not? Even Let's even shoot for the moon here and say responsible.
1: You know, I think it's actually having conversation about the decisions that are being made versus having this, like having the conversation about how he drinks his water versus yeah. how he walks down a ramp or, or any other sort of like physical um, action that he takes and, and really basing it in, in a grounding of ableism. Um, which is the idea that you know uh, people, with, which is the, the the discrimination faced by people with disabilities, and is grounded in ideas that you can you know you don't matter unless you can produce or or how you appear in a space um, directly results in how people value you. I mean, I firsthand when I worked in the White House uh, in the Obama administration, I remember an exchange with somebody who was a, a very prominent civil rights leader who came in to meet with me about a job that they wanted and said to me, it's so cute that the president hired somebody like you to work for him. Are you here as part of a charity program? Oh my God. And I remember sort of like holding my breath and I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, surely like someone like you weren't, wasn't able to work on the campaign. Like surely someone like you, like you got here because he's like, are you part of like a a special program?
0: (laughs) And I'm just, the the cringe that I'm doing right now, I
1: well, and and Jared, you'll remember this generationally. Like you remember the old <laughs> bugs, like the Warner Brothers cartoons, where like Daffy Duck would end up with like the Devil Duck on one shoulder and the Angel Duck <laughs> on the other. And I I like quite literally like had that moment where I was like, how do I respond to this? This is somebody who has the ear of the president. This is somebody who right um, travels in circles that I've only dreamed of. Um, and he just accused me of getting a job out of charity versus the work that i did for like two plus years on the campaign um like he all yes, patted you on the like, head i mean like, that's yeah and as a little person like that would have been like insult to injury like it, but that's totally how it felt and and i remember sitting there and being like how oh, like God. how do i respond to this but then like i don't know a single person with a disability that has not had that experience in their life That has not been questioned. And so when we sit and we watch the media, when we watch people who we respect actively attack the president for the perception of disability, like disability disqualifies you from being president. I mean, let's remember that the Oval Office is where the Oval Office is today because Franklin Delano Roosevelt moved it. So he could use the 45-second the commute to, to wheel in and out of the, the West Wing without right. being seen by the press corps. Um, you know, and so there's a really real conversation here, you know, about, the, about ableism in, and, and the perception of leadership. I mean, we saw it come up with, um, uh, with Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor during her confirmation yeah. when they questioned her ability to hear cases diabetes because she had diabetes. And- and it's yeah. ridiculous. The ADA is 30 and we're still fighting for basic access.
0: The ADA is old enough now where we should start discriminating against it because of its age. I think that's, that's what's... Yeah, for-
1: let's add some ageism on that. That'd be <laughs> hot.
0: <laughs> the, I started this conversation with where we are today as opposed to a month ago. Obviously, you know, in this kind of horror show of 2020, there's a constant reason to be upset. And I, I wonder about the reaction to this the latest kind of sidewind of this campaign and seeing this, what could easily turn into kind of a dick measuring contest for president, where you see these these ads from the Biden campaign. And again, I want to talk about policy. I want to talk about what the Trump administration is doing. I know you're advising the Biden campaign. We can talk about what the advi- Biden campaign can do better on disability. I'm actually now appealing to, to the, the feminine aspect of you and saying, aren't we all just... Can't we just have a little less, you know, musk in this campaign, please? I really don't want to do another few months of this.
1: I I love that you described it as Axe because I actually found myself thinking about it as like Old Spice versus Brute. Um, <laughs> like when you first brought it up, you're like Axe. And I was like, yeah, Axe. I was like, but generationally, wouldn't it be like old, like... Old spice versus brute like that's where we're at right now and no, I couldn't agree more and I I really do think that there is just the opportunity to turn it down um, with this with these campaigns and it's like I don't want to see a push-up contest like I remember when Jimmy Fallon and uh, First Lady Michelle Obama did a push-up contest are we really going back there? is this really is this really necessary um, and yeah I mean, I I wanna see them debate on intellect. I wanna see them debate on ideas and policy and process. Not as you said, like, Pulling out the rulers and doing like a nine-year-old dick measuring <laughs> contest in like the elementary school bathroom. I think it's Nobody all. Cares.
0: I think it's perfect. By the way, that while we're talking about the, uh, the the differences and kind of our hope for a better campaign, that you uh, as a mother had to, had to had people who were appreciating what was audible yes. in the background. I, I think that's wonderful as well. And you know, as a as a new dad to our first, our five five-month-old, uh, I'm looking forward to kind of the. Um, uh, what will only, once he's ambulatory, uh, to have the kind of South Korean professor moment where the the kid just kind of waltzes uh, into the zoom meeting, which is, I feel like we got an audio version of that just now. Oh,
1: we've, we've got, yeah. I mean, I had, I had a moment with funders where my kids decided to streak and it was like,
0: (laughs) did that, did that increase the pitch or does that (laughs) dampen it somewhat?
1: (laughs) thankfully they're funders that like i have a long-standing relationship (laughs) with and it was just one of those moments where i was like i I can't make this shit up i was like friends like (laughs) you have now seen more of my life than yeah Yeah. and they were just like they were like no this is how things are now like this is like totally cool don't worry about it um and we should also talk
0: about that in the context of i know that for covid and for there are so many things that i want to kind of For people who are listening to this at the beginning, I want to put a pin in this and also say later, we should talk about, for example, how it's worse for people with disabilities and how, for example, in just a few weeks, if schools start opening up or don't, uh, people of all types are going to be affected, especially if parents or kids with disabilities, there's going to be another issue there because of the resource juggle that happens. But I want to stay because even though it was perfectly punctured by the very feminine moment of you being a mom i think yeah. i think we need to just hammer this point home about gender because uh, you know we we've come to this point in the democratic primary where a old straight white dude is the democratic nominee mm-hmm. despite some other options having been considered pretty seriously and I wonder about for you as someone who's, you know, kind of uh, on the, you're on the younger side of people who have, you know, shaped this movement and, and care a lot about it. Where are you concerned about the, the viability of this long term? Because I feel like there's a there's a comeuppance very soon for for Democrats and Democratic politics where this is not going to fly very much longer.
1: You know, one of the things that my husband says and I and I laugh about it because he's very right on this um, And he's not in the room, so he can't hear me like credit him with this. And it's also kind of, (laughs) there's more nuance to it now given current, current events, but, um, the country wasn't ready to vote for Hermione Granger. You know, the country wasn't ready to vote for.
0: Yeah. But she's now now she's canceled because of the Trump thing, you know, and I still
1: have constant vigilance tattooed on my wrist and I'm now being asked if I'm going to get rid of it. That was my, my Trump resistance tattoo. Um, I but it. I mean, it, it really is a, a question that we have to ask, like, what is it going to take for things to finally tangibly shift? We have had a multitude of extremely qualified candidates from a variety of diverse communities. Um, I mean, more than we've we've ever seen before. And I mean, and having been in charge of diversity efforts for the Obama administration in the first term, like... It's, it's, it was like a buffet of like the most amazing things we had ever seen and, and promising ideas and, and provocative thinking and, and to just see it sort of like get to this point of being like, Oh, okay, this is, this is where we are now. Uh, all right. And, you know, figuring out, I think for me, like the, the thing I continue to ask and I ask it from a, as a woman and I ask it as a person with a disability, it's like, when will we be enough When will, you know, one of the questions I had, I mean, the the Biden campaign was the last campaign to release their disability policy platform. I mean, Marianne Williamson released one before he did. Um, And I remember having... Talk about a
0: million years ago, by the way, in terms
1: of... (laughs) of like back in, you know, back in the old days. um, In
0: the before times.
1: Like with the crystals and the lasers. um, You know,
0: what really struck
1: me was it was like, we I'm had helpful. 12 I'm candidates release platforms like why that. are we still waiting like how yeah. like, are we like is the in the next campaign in the next like in in 2024 are we going to be at this same point like at what point is it accepted that a table is not complete unless people with disabilities are at it unless women are at it unless communities of color are at it unless black people are at it right like right. actively like or is everything like a continual reset? Is this Groundhog Day? Hmm. Like, God, I hope it's not.
0: Um, Well, and that's, honestly, you know, after seven years of being a White House reporter, one of the things and the reason that this conversation is named the way it is, you know, I come from a a restaurant family. So there's, there's obviously a a food component to it. But I really do believe that having, uh, having, uh, you know, if you're going to have a conversation, whether it's uh, politics or otherwise, you you need to know who's at the table and who's and that's important. Let's start with where we are right now with with uh, the Trump administration on disability, and then we can talk about that plan that was released thirteenth, uh, I suppose. I wasn't keeping track of the numbers, but I I'm, have no doubt that you were uh, uh, on uh, on the d- the disability from the uh, from the Biden camp. Uh, let's talk about. The last three and a half plus years, what has been the Trump administration's record when it comes to people with disabilities?
1: You know, one of the first things the Trump administration did after getting elected was start to deregulate nursing homes, um, and specifically around the areas of infection control, around nurse to patient ratios, etc. And we're clearly seeing the benefits of that policy now, considering 40% of the deaths due to COVID have come out of nursing homes and specifically tied to lack of infection control. Um, and that was one of the first things so most people don't often realize even that there are disabled people, disabled young people in nursing homes. Most people assume that you know, when they think of nursing homes, they think of shady pines from the Golden Girls. Um, you know, and it's not that. I mean, there are, there are tens of thousands of disabled people under the age of 50 Um, That, because of bad Medicaid policy, are forced to give up living in their own homes, in their communities, with their families, with their loved ones, and are forced to live in a nursing home because they can't get the care that they deserve, they have a constitutional right to, in their homes. Um, you know, and so that was, that's a huge, huge piece around that. I think the other things that the Trump administration has done that's been so damaging is, I mean, they've, they rescinded 72 pieces of guidance around special education policy. Now, mind you, some of that guidance was old and out of date and, and has been revised since then. Um, but 72 documents that have to do with the civil rights protections for students with disabilities, Um, You know, and under an administration of Betsy DeVos, who made it abundantly clear that she knew absolutely nothing about special education or the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. You know, we've watched it play out. We've watched the attacks on Title IX. We've watched the attacks on accommodations. We've watched the refusal to look at and implement the equity and IDEA rule, which is around significant disproportionality of discipline against students of color with disabilities. Um, You know, on the Social Security front, they implemented a new, they changed up how they do Social Security reviews for people on benef- both people getting new benefits and people renewing their benefits um, so that it would require them to have much more frequent doctor visits, um, require them to get new, new copies of medical records much more frequently, which they have to pay for themselves and that's not covered by insurance, um, and jump through all these hoops to maintain the benefits that they've been A, paying into in some cases, and B, that they need because they can't work. You know, um, and the last one I'd really hit on is the public charge fight. I mean, people don't often associate immigration issues and disability rights. And for the longest time, the disability community never came to the table and fought with our siblings um, fighting on immigration reform. But when the Trump administration made it illegal for folks to immigrate, that could ever potentially, either they or someone in their immediate family, could ever potentially be in need of government benefits um, is horrific. It punishes people. I mean, I, I have so many friends whose families came here because they could get their child an education or they could, you know, they could open a business or have a job because they're disabled and they pay taxes, they contribute. And, you know, a person's, let's also be clear that a person's value is not based on what they can contribute in this country. Um, or at least it shouldn't be, be. It shouldn't be. Yeah. And, um, but the public charge fight is going to have implications for, for millions of people, um, you know. And so there hasn't been a decision that the Trump administration has made that has not had a negative impact um, on people with disabilities. And, and you know, we also have a Congress that included some Democrats that uh, voted on the House side and it passed to repeal Title Three of the ADA last year, Um And because there is this perception put out by folks like Anderson Cooper and others that all disabled people do is go around and sue businesses that don't comply with the law versus saying, hey, you've been out of compliance for 30 years. How about you actually get with the times? Um, Instead, we like to blame disabled people for actually wanting to access society.
0: And and that is, you know, there's there's a great current under all of these, which is this subtext of cruelty to all of it. And one of the one of the great. Um, kind of themes of the Trump administration, uh, the the uh, yeah, Adam Serwer's cruelty is the point, and and I feel like that has mm-hmm. been the the guide principle, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, and it's yep. not just cruelty. It's also negligence. It's also, you know, Betsy DeVos not wanting to do, uh, to care for, for those kids because there's no profit in teaching, uh, you know, kids where you, you know, for, you talk about the resource juggle, it's frustrating to watch. And, and that's, before my kid is even old enough to be able to, uh, to get any education besides, uh, you know, watching, you know, I, I don't even know. We, we, we mostly just read board books to him. He tries to eat them. So, you know, his education yeah. is, is oh, yeah. very, very, uh, uh, rudimentary at this point.
1: It's, I mean, it's, it's true though. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, as you were saying, cruelty was the point. I mean, the, the disability community knew this was coming with Trump. I mean, Trump himself has, ha- has faced over 60 lawsuits tied to um, his properties refusing to be compliant with the ADA. And so, you know, I, I always joke that the disability community is the literal canary in the coal mine. We know what's going to happen before it happens. I mean, we, we saw that with COVID. We've seen that with Trump. Um, we've seen that with Kavanaugh. Um, you know, there's there's been very little here that's been surprising to us. Yeah. You know, I think if anything, it's just been Exhausting, um, because it's not even um, uh, our CEO likes to say it's drinking from the fire hose, and and I like to tease her back and say, "No, Nira, it's it's drinking from a flamethrower," um, because it doesn't it it doesn't stop. It's like fighting a hydra most days.
0: Boy, do I want to go down a, a tangent about you know what which monster manual uh, enemy most most accurately describes the Trump administration, I would say Knowles, uh, yeah. just off the top of my head. Let me ask you about the the positive side of this, because I know that you're trying to affect change with work with the Biden campaign. What about the, the disability policy? Again, you said late to the table, but it's here now. What's in there? What have you been working on? And what are you excited about?
1: You know, I, I mean, there's, there's numerous things I'm excited about. I, I want to actually commend the Biden campaign for doing some phenomenal staffing up, um, you know, having great folks at the table like Stephanie Feldman, who's their policy director, um, you know, uh, Reggie Greer, who's their LGBT liaison, um, who's also a, a longtime member and also allied to the disability community, among others, um, has really given us a number of entry points to engage with them. I, uh, you know, though the policy was... The last to come out, and I know they're sick of hearing me say that, but like I say that with all the love um, of somebody who's worked closely with a number of these folks for years. Um, it's a good policy. It's a it's a Biden policy, so it's safe, it's thoughtful, it's thorough. Um, I was actually really pleased to see him pick up some of the things that um, some of the other candidates had pushed for. Um, for example. Uh, something that I know is very near and dear to me was the provisions around making sure that there's funding to make childcare both affordable and accessible. And like when people think about childcare accessibility, they think about like, can I get to a childcare? Is there enough childcare in my area? <laughs> and not necessarily thinking about if I was a parent with a disability, would I be able to wheel my wheelchair in and get my kid? Would I be able, if I was right. a deaf parent, um, would they be able to have access to a sign language interpreter? Uh, so if I wanted to check on how my kid was doing at the end of the day, I could do that. And so um, those things are are life-changing to the disability community. And so I was really excited to see that. Um, I was excited to see his commitment to um, the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Rule, uh, which would increase access to affordable and accessible housing for our community. Um, you know, there, I'm still really honestly, I'm waiting for my Biden moment. I'm waiting for the thing that makes the plan or his commitment. like, Joe Biden is such a personality. And it's one of the things that I I genuinely love about the vice president. Um, And while with a lot of the other candidates, we saw those moments, we saw Julian Castro decide he wanted to do a Twitter town hall with the disability community. We saw Senator Warren directly engage. We saw Um, uh, Mayor Buttigieg specifically talk about how marriage equality has yet to become reality for a lot of people with disabilities, where if you end up getting married, if you're on benefits, you'll lose your health care. Um, you know, and, and I want to see the Joe Biden moment with the disability community, because honestly, Joe's part of our community. Um, you know he's been very outspoken about living with a speech impediment, yeah. and most people don't realize that that is actually part of our community.
0: And 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 because you brought that up, I have to. I want to bring it back to for a moment, and because I'm I'm enjoying the fact that we're having a substantive conversation, but I have to bring it back to the superficial because we're talking about the way in which people are perceived. You say outspoken, but it is something that there's been a little bit of reticence to discuss in public. Mm-hmm and it's something that the Trump administration, the Trump campaign, the president himself and just about everyone down the line has relished in i mean we've seen it at the white house podium i have i have been aghast i've been in that room and i've i cannot imagine the glee to see uh, the press secretary talk about how the vice the former vice president can't get words out um it's yeah. really d- disturbing to me and so i wonder about um, your perception about how this has been handled, both on the Biden side and on the Trump side of the equation?
1: You know, I think for anybody with a disability, there is the fear about coming out, especially if it's a hidden disability. And sure. it's something that you can work on passing or, or I mean, the vice president uses language that we're not always comfortable with around overcoming, because we don't think it's about overcoming, we think it's about actually creating a society that's more accepting of people with disabilities we don't need to fix ourselves y'all need to fix this world that you've built um and so (laughs) um you know pretty
0: succinct and and beautifully said i would say you know
1: know, and so we were really excited to hear him start talking about it because he didn't talk about it during the obama years um i knew about it having read his biography or his autobiography and having worked on the campaign and engaged with his staff on the issue a couple of times um You know, and there's a lot that goes into it for somebody with a speech impediment. And I give him a lot of credit for for talking about it. And the reality is, is, you know, people are assholes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I. Especially
0: people in politics, frankly. I I mean, mean, it's not not a loving community.
1: No, no, it's not. And, you know, I think for me, um, it's thinking about how you turn it into uh, an asset versus a, you know, a detriment. I mean, I always think about like my favorite disability moment in politics was Tammy Duckworth live streaming on Facebook um, the ACA God, protest. God, I love her, by the way. Oh my I God, love she's her. amazing. Um, live streaming her the, the sit-in on the house floor um, during the ACA fight. And somebody uh, responded to her Facebook live post and was like, Tammy, how are you filming this? You're not supposed to have cameras. On, like nobody's supposed to have their phone on the house floor. And she's like, oh, I smuggled it in my prosthesis. And I laughed so hard. And I was like, "We got you now. You're ours. Like, that's the most disabled thing I've ever seen. I was like, "I was like, everybody watch out. Tammy Duckworth going to be smuggling soda, like two liter bottles of soda in her leg when she goes to the movie theater. Like, she is fully part of the community now. And I, I lovingly, like, give her a hard time about this. Like, when I saw her the next time at a cap event, I was like, that was the most... I was like that was when you crossed over to the dark side of the disability community. We were just like Tammy is ours now.
0: That's <laughs> like, glorious. I keep
1: waiting for Biden to have that moment. Like and and I know it will happen because I trust and I believe in the vice president having having worked in the White House. Um and and we're ready for him. Like we're waiting for him. We're waiting for Whatever it is, and and maybe it's the appoint, maybe it's the selection of a vice president, maybe it's the appointment of another Supreme Court justice, um, maybe it's you know um, the final signing of the UN Convention on the Civil Rights of People with Disabilities. Lord knows what it's going to be, um, but we're waiting for it. And I think that you know we have sixty one million people, we're present in one third of households, we're a hell of a huge voting block. Um, and while there was a lot of excitement about all the other candidates running because of the amount of attention that we got. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of, there's limitless potential for the vice president when it comes to building support (sighs) uh, uh, with our part of the base.
0: Well, and I I get excited about, you know, you, you mentioned the, the personality and I think about the humanity and the empathy that he brings, you know, the, the, there, there's a real moment for that. I think the, the current administration leaves that hill unguarded <laughs> so much uh that it's it's really easy for just about anyone under the democratic banner to take it but i think joe biden is really good at showing that you can approach these issues with humility and empathy and humanity and his and his personality and I, i'm excited to see where that goes especially on issues that are that are sensitive because i think that there's a real chance to to blow a hole in this this certitude as test of certainty administration that that we can see whether it's the you know the the pandemic or or the economy or anything else you just can't you can't happy talk your way to a win
1: no i mean (laughs) i I wait for the day that i see joe biden in a room full of kids with disabilities that that are all talking about being bullied yeah or lgbt kids who've talked like um, uh, a group of kids from different marginalizations talking about how school sucked Because he talks about that in his autobiography. He talks about being made fun of by the nuns because Hmm. he struggled speaking. Right. Um, He talks about being mocked by his friends and his sister, Valerie, who's easily one of the coolest people I've ever met, like kicking people's butts for him. (laughs) Because that's what you do if you're a Biden. You stand up for each other, like Biden family values. Um, You know, and I... I like, that's, that's a be best moment. Mm -hmm. That is a moment where
0: controversial, but I'll take it.
1: (laughs) That is a moment though, where you take the, like you actually have the conversation that needs to be had in a way that the vice president is the best person to have that conversation. Um, You know, because nobody knows what it's like, what that fear is like. Nobody knows what it's like to be the person who's afraid to talk, who's, who's afraid to, stand up in front of a classroom, who's afraid to, you know, out themselves as different in, in any way, shape or form. And I think, as you said, like the humanity that is inherent in Joe Biden just makes him the perfect person for those conversations.
0: Let's talk about some of the concerns for people with disabilities in this moment that we're in for COVID, because I've thought about this, I think because the disability community is often overlooked. I don't feel like I've seen a lot of coverage in this in standard media. I don't feel like I've seen a lot of it focused. What's on your radar that's not on mine that should be on mine?
1: Um, there's a couple of th- I mean, there's many things. Like, there isn't a, a piece I, of... We don't have
0: that much time. No, I mean, I'm still a straight know? white man in America, so, so that's...
1: <laughs> like, you know, I think um, obviously what we've seen in nursing homes is is extremely concerning. And disabled people don't want to be in nursing homes. We want to actually see nursing home, abolition, be part of the broader abolition conversation. We've been excited to see like psychiatric facilities included in some of those conversations um, because no one deserves to live in an institution, whether it's a jail or an institution, like an institution is an institution. Um, But actually talking about um, eradication of nursing homes and the actual freedom, how do we change healthcare in such a way so that if you have, Access. If you can't access the supports and services you need to live at home with your family, and that be your life, then that should be what's available to you.
0: Right. Um,
1: you know, I think the the case in Austin right now around um, Michael Hickson, who was paralyzed and um, subjected to significant medicalized racism, um, where there's actual audio footage of the doctor telling his wife he doesn't deserve to live. He's taking up resources that should go to somebody else now that he has COVID. <laughs> We should pull the plug,
0: and uh, and the idea. I, I mean, remember, you, you were there for the first half of the Obama administration, a time when you know everybody is is throwing a fit over death panels. I mean, we're literally because of the way hospitals are overtaxed right now, we are seeing. And again, as you mentioned, canary in the coal mine. I mean, the people in the disability community are 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 running out of oxygen literally yeah. when it comes to the the, the this moment in COVID.
1: I mean, we actually there were states that had policies that said if you were disabled and had your own ventilator as part of like your standard medical equipment, and you came into the hospital with it, the hospital could be legally allowed to confiscate Jesus. your ventilator I'm and give it to somebody else. We actually had to fight against
0: that. <laughs> you know, sorry. and I think the thing is like this I don't often I don't often get yeah. that surprise. I hadn't heard that, and that's yeah. that's genuinely.
1: I mean, and vile. this is but this is also how it. This isn't just a COVID thing. For us. Sure. Like this is all the time. Like disabled lives are always weighed as less valuable. I mean, when I had my when I had my daughter, um, the anesthesiologist said to my OB, like, while I'm laying on the operating room table, so while you're down there, why don't you go ahead and tie your tubes? Because people like her don't need to have more kids.
0: What? <coughs> yeah. Did he assume you were unconscious? Or... No, I was
1: very conscious because my an- my anesthesia wore out about halfway through the C section, so I'd been cursing at him for about forty five minutes at that point. Um, and no, but like that's—I mean, I don't know.
0: I don't I know mean, that we're only a couple of decades stolen. away from forced sterilization. So I guess oh, certain still, I mean,
1: it still happens. I mean, Kavanaugh had the Doe case where he ruled right. that disabled women in DC could have could be forced to have abortions <laughs> without their knowledge and against their will. Um, Because they had cognitive disabilities like it, you know, 40,000 black women sterilized in California prisons like it's happening now it still happens. Um, But I think for us, it's one of those things where like, this is just our reality. And it's always fascinating to me, especially when you see somebody acquire a disability and then they encounter like medicalized racism or medicalized ableism for the first time. They're like, this is just wrong. And we're like, oh, welcome. Welcome to the table.
0: <laughs> yeah, He's you been hand waiting them for you. Like a name card, name, you know, placard or something. Like...
1: Yeah. You know, and so like for us, I mean, what we're seeing with COVID is it's just sort of a zoomed in version of what we see every day.
0: What about for the fall, or, or I guess really, it's, it seems far off, but it's also in a couple weeks. Some places will be going back to school. Does that represent challenges? Is that, what, what are the concerns that are on your radar, again, that are not on mine? For
1: us, it's across the board. It's everything from, um, is, the, is the software that schools are using like accessible for students with disabilities? Are the schools going to have, you know for deaf students, will they have captioning set up? Will they have, car, you know, or captioning versus craptioning, which is what we call <laughs> like auto captions because they're so bad. Um, will they have ASL interpreters? Um, will schools be like, how, how do you do some of the soft skills work that schools do for kids with disabilities? Some of the um, more like occupational therapy type of things for kids with disabilities, like remotely. What does that look like?
0: Yeah. I think about it in the context of the the closest I have to that is uh, I I have a conversation with my therapist once a week. And, you know, one of the things that that he jokes about, he's like, look, there are certain things we just can't. Work on like you know social yeah. anxiety is really hard to do through a screen. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. And that, that by the way that's not my issue. Um. You know my yeah. my narcissism has very long been a shield <laughs> against a lot of those uh, anxieties. But I can appreciate why someone who needs a little help to be able to socialize in a in a school setting isn't really getting that from the, the same machine that they type on. That's not necessarily an easy solution.
1: No, and I mean, and I think right now when you're looking at all the trauma and uncertainty facing all kids, but let's be right. real, facing kids of like black and brown kids with disabilities, LGBT kids with disabilities, like they're really traumatized right now. Kids are scared. Yeah. Um, you know, and whether, they have every
0: right to be. You know,
1: whether or not they've lost a loved one, whether or not they know somebody that's been deported, someone in a camp, whether or not they're they're being out in the streets protesting, um, saying "Black Lives Matter" or "Black Disabled Lives Matter," which which a lot of our colleagues have been doing. Um, the reality that this world is a very different world now, and there's so much uncertainty. So it's not even just the kids that already had disabilities going back to school this fall. It's also being cognitive and, and, and thinking about kids who may have acquired disabilities and, and trauma, which itself is a disability as we go into school this
0: fall. And I also think about, you know, we don't know the long-term impacts of a COVID infection. And no. it's very clear that for some people there are long-term respiratory and cardiac issues which may mean that the entire country is yep. suffering in a new way uh, because of the way that this has been mishandled from the top. I mean,
1: this, this to me is going to be the biggest boom, like statistically speaking, if, if numbers stay on track. This will be the largest boom in the disability population since AIDS and HIV in the early 1980s. And as a kid who grew up in the Bay Area and remembers it firsthand, Like this is, this is changing everything.
0: I I didn't even think of it in that particular way, but I guess that, that is why I'm so grateful for your, your perception here because I just, it is frightening to me, but it's also, I think a real uh, groundswell change. And maybe that's, that's what the moment needs. Let me ask you about another aspect of this, because I feel like we're we're just examining different parts of the dumpster, all of which are on fire. And now I'm pointing at the the election, which is, you know, I want to point people again back to the piece that you wrote for The Post. You posited that 60 to 80 percent of polling places still not accessible. That's an enormously high number. One that shocked me. I've heard similar numbers before voting by mail absentee voting is discussed at length obviously this is a it's become a partisan divide on this issue is it is is voting by mail a panacea is it something that might actually help for the disabled community is it something that has been sought more widely and and with fewer restrictions in the past how how does the election look for for your commu- for this community and for the 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 next few few months as as people essentially litigate it in advance. You know,
1: I think it's it's going to be a cluster. Like it's gonna be a, a hot mess. Um <laughs>
0: great, good. That's know, always good to I hear. I think
1: um I mean vote by mail is a huge opportunity and benefits a lot of people. Um, you know, I think the challenge with vote by mail and we've been very open about this at CAP, is while we want to see like massive expansion of it, it doesn't work for everybody. And so we know that um for certain types of people with disabilities, it's not going to work. We don't have braille ballots. We don't have large print ballots in a lot of places. And so for folks who are blind um, and may not have access to technology that can read their ballot to them and then also help them market, it might, like, it's not going to always work. Um, You know, I think what we've been recommending to people is everybody should receive a ballot by mail. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that there still needs to be um, in-person options and I think being deliberate about what those in-person options look like I was actually talking to a friend last night from Atlanta um, Who was talking about how they're gearing up for the, um, the The big basketball stadium in downtown Atlanta to be the the site for um, Early voting for the fall election and she said that's all good except because of covid they've cut down over 80% of the public transportation routes to the arena so how are people going to get there to vote? Um, you know, Which I think is, a, is another big issue. We've been pushing for significant early voting um, as opposed to making voting day a holiday. Because when you make voting day a holiday, we know that most low income people are still going to have to work. So like right. I call it like the eight F's of employment, like food, filth, fetching, folding, filing flowers, festive and friendly. Like you do low wage work, <laughs> low wage jobs, you're still going to work, you're not getting the day off. And those are the types of jobs that most people with disabilities find themselves in. Um, furthermore, you end up with public transportation running on alternate schedules on those days, like if it's, a, if it's a holiday. Or if you have a caregiver, a lot of times the contracts for those caregivers uh, require those caregivers to get federal holidays off. And so the person that might be there to drive you to the polls normally is not there to drive you to the polls. Um, so what we're really talking about is massive expansion of vote by mail, um, including limited but widely accessible in-person options. So like throughout a city versus what we've seen in in some localities where they've had like three in-person voting places and they've been all within like 10 minutes of each other and leaving the rest of the state without anything, um,
0: Clearly not designed by somebody with, you know, any per- perception of what might be needed. Or
1: equity or values or, right. you know, and so um, like really pushing for that. I think there is a lot of questions around electronic voting and, you know, the security of that. I mean, I would love to see us get to a point where we actually have secured electronic voting. I think that would be really powerful, um, you know, because it's the kind of thing that w- could be made accessible. For a multitude of people but like that's for like the the coding nerds and the security nerds to figure out um but there's still some real significant work we need to do around making sure that people have what they need to be able to vote i mean and let's also be real we need to see reform to guardianship laws too because i'd like to remind everybody that britney spears still cannot vote um while Britney
0: continues being under... <laughs> wait a minute. I'm sorry. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that particular factoid. So it just kind of hit me. It hit me wrong. It, it, it uh, hit, wh- hit you one more time? Br- yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. Uh, wait a minute. Why can't... I don't... I shouldn't care about this. Should I? Why can't Britney vote?
1: Brittany is under...
0: Leave Britney alone. Britney
1: is under guardianship. Oh, my God. Brittany re- remains under guardianship. And there are tens of thousands of Americans with disabilities. And Brittany's under guardianship because of her mental health. Um, that lose their right to vote because of really strict and inhumane guardianship rules in this country. And, and certain states, California among them, has done a lot to actually reform their guardianship policies. Um, So that people with disabilities can vote. But we've actually there was a really famous case in D.C. a few years ago, the Jenny Hatch case, where Jenny Hatch sued to get out of under guardianship from um, from her parents who had legal guardianship of her because Jenny wanted to vote. And that actually is one of the number one reasons why people um, specific like often people with mental illness, often people with intellectual disabilities sue to get out of legal guardianship is to be able to access their fundamental democratic right to vote for president.
0: Well, I, I, I was not expecting to, to have Britney Spears be the entry point for my better understanding of this. And I hope that, uh, other people are similarly, uh, pleasantly surprised
1: it's it's i always tell people don't ever underestimate the diversity of the disability community we got everybody
0: (laughs) um i i want you to know also that for the sake of the people who are listening to this conversation i avoided 30 puns that went through my head with different song titles uh and i and i you're you're welcome frankly uh because they were all terrible while we're talking about hope what are the next frontiers for policy about Americans with disabilities we've seen for example in in recent days uh, some some real barriers being broken, for example, uh, LGBT community at the Supreme Court. You you mentioned Black Lives Matter. I, I mean, we're seeing in the aftermath of George Floyd and others that there's a lot of civil rights activism happening. What are the frontiers that you're excited about beyond what you're working on for the Biden campaign, but just w- what should we be looking at as the next horizon here?
1: You know, to me, it really is the realization that Each of those issues that you mentioned disproportionately impacts people with disabilities. And how do we ensure that our community is at the table for the discussion of those issues and the policy that comes out of it? So, you know, whether it be George Floyd, who they actually tried to use his disabilities as an excuse for his death. Yes. Um, I mean, Eric Garner's last words were a declaration of disability, which is technically protected under law. I can't breathe. And he had asthma. Um, you know, 50% of the folks killed by law enforcement are people with disabilities, if not more. We actually don't have the ability to actually have the kind of data we need on that. but we know the numbers are extremely high. Um, you know, you're talking about you know marriage equality. I mean that's still a fundamental issue for people with disabilities. For LGBT kids and specifically like LGBT kids with disabilities, one of the things that we see is that um, their expression of their identity, is actually policed through their education plans that that they have a right to as students with disabilities. We've seen a number of cases um, on the local level where a kid who identifies as trans um, and the parents are not supportive of it or they go to a school that's not supportive of it, it'll actually be written into their individualized education plan as a defiance behavior. And so they can actually be punished for identifying as LGBT in their school. um, And it's actually written into their education plan that way. Um, You know, when you're talking about immigration, we know that a number of the folks being forced out of this country are people with disabilities. When you look at what's happening in the border camps, all of those children that have been separated from their parents and all those parents that have been separated from their children are living with trauma, and trauma is a disability. So if we end up bringing... You know, if we end up allowing those folks to immigrate to their to our country, which I believe we should, all of those children are going to need access to special education services as a resu- result of the trauma they've dealt with. So we're going to need to see increased funding for special ed there. Um, you know, we're gearing up for a hurricane season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know? Motor like... <laughs> oh. hornets, hurricanes, <laughs> like...
0: It's not even... You know, I-
1: I was about to make like a Wizard of Oz joke, which is like such bad humor for little people. But like, <laughs> like, here's where it goes. But I mean, the reality. But if I is, say
0: it, Rebecca, is,
1: it, you know, <laughs> know um, at some point I have to tell you about when my husband and I met the last living munchkin. It was so I was so inappropriate. It was bad. Um, <laughs> but like when we are talking about hurricanes. We know that. Like people in nursing homes, people in congregate settings, whether they're jails or nursing homes or psychiatric hospitals, are rarely evacuated and are usually the first to die. Like yeah. that's a whole, you know, that's an issue that disproportionately impacts us. And so I think the thing that I continue to, to stress to people, and I've said this to policymakers, is quite literally, there's not an issue that they're working on that doesn't touch people with disabilities. Um you know, and we're starting to see significant headway. I mean, I give a lot of credit to like this next generation of, of women in Congress. Um, you know, Representative Ayanna Presley, who we claim as part of our community since she came out as having as living with alopecia. She's part of our crew. Um, you know, Katie Porter has been phenomenal on oversight. The minute she brings out that whiteboard, like I start doing cartwheels. I'm like, oh, who's she going to get? Who's she going to get? Um. And actually stood up for the ADA when the U.S. Chamber of Commerce wanted to allow any COVID funding um, tied to construction and tied to employment to waive any requirements under the ADA. Um, And so, like, we have a whole new generation of champions, which is really exciting to me also that they're not, like, all old white dudes. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, folks like Senator Harkin and Senator Kennedy and Steny Hoyer and others who are the reason that I am where I am today. But it's exciting to see like the next generation of legislators really actually understand us as part of the base. And understand that, like, we have a voice that really matters and, and engage with us as peers in this fight.
0: I'm very excited about it, too. And and not just because I feel like the future is going to look so much different and I feel like it needs to look so much different, but also that as a, as a political science person, I remember thinking in high school and college, oh, I'm so excited about uh, more people getting involved in politics. And then for the next like 15, 20 years, I've been like, actually, no, no, I really, I I wasn't excited. But then I realized it was because my cohort, my circle was too small and I'm very excited. I don't want more people like me because I'm kind of a jerk, but I think that if if there's a, some real diversity in the group of people who are more excited about politics, then we actually have a chance of it getting better. I wanted to, to end on a lighter note, uh, Rebecca, because you you looked down your nose earlier about coding nerds. It wasn't you didn't say anything mean, but you definitely it was the tone, and I I just. Um I, I don't feel like you have any any ground to stand on there because I know that you are yourself <laughs> quite quite an, and, and, and your your laughter there acknowledges the point I was making about tone. Um, so I, thank you for telling me that I was right. Uh, th- th- let, let's talk about you and I are both in a uh, and this this came up at the end of the interview I did recently with Juan Escalante of Forward U.S. because. Um, He and I got to know each other through this Animal Crossing group. And I I have to out you as well as an Animal Crossing person. Uh, How, as we, as we surveil the domain of the terrible dumpster fire that exists, how much have you enjoyed finding a little place where you can make everything cute and adorable? And how much, uh, how much have you been, what have you been neglecting in your life? Because you've been spending time, as I have, uh, spending way too much time on this game.
1: It has honestly been like one of the greatest gifts like, I'm not gonna lie, like, it was one of those things that I had a really good friend, um, who, um, who bought me a Nintendo Switch Lite at the beginning of the pandemic, and was like, you need this, you work too hard, like, you need to take a break, and so, like, I first downloaded Cart, and I was like, oh, I love playing Cart, Cart's fun, um, and then I was like, you know, everyone's talking about Animal Crossing, I'm just gonna check it out, and then quite literally like. And
0: you had never played, I, you had never played a previous iteration. Yeah, I had
1: never played any previous iteration and was in a DM with a bunch of the Castro campaign alum. And so like, the, like, we always joke that we're like the Castro, like the, the Castro campaign was so great to the disability community. We always lovingly referred ourselves as like the Castro cousins, like the Care Bear cousins. We're like, we weren't intimately involved, <laughs> but we're like, we're like, yeah, we're like the cheerleaders and like, we're the, we're the, um, we're the cavalry when it's needed. Um, and so the minute I was like, hey, like Natalie made some comment about it and I was like, oh, I just started playing and then immediately get pulled into the to our group. Um, and just like the community in there and the fact that like it's like-minded folks from all over. Um and like the the shared values and the like ridiculousness of like Tom Nook as, you know, (laughs) a slumlord. Uh <laughs> and, you know <laughs> and these conversations that we have about like, hey, oh my god, how are your turnip prices? Like it
0: poor. It's, poor most Oh, they other
1: crap. Um there's there's like joy in that. Like it's Yeah, it really it's is it's a lot of fun and it's um it's one of those things that for me. Um, it's actually got me off my phone as much as I was on my phone before, like reading the news over and over again. Like I, I doom
0: scrolling. Yeah. yeah. You
1: know? And so now I get the reports from my iPhone being like, your iPhone usage is down like 15% this week. And I was like, yeah, don't look at how much I'm like, Hey, I just built my new orchard. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) but it really has been like, you know, but I'm also like, I'm not a crafty person in my own life. Like Uh, Which is weird little a lot of little people sew because it's like you do it out of necessity, or they like knit or crochet because like clothes are so expensive. Um, I don't have any of that skill set. And so like for me, actually, I'm a I'm a, a fall I'm like an adult fan of Lego. And so I do a lot of Lego building. But I'm. Out of I didn't
0: even know that was an acronym, by the way. Oh, that is fantastic. Like, that's a whole
1: other community. Like, yeah, but I'm out of space <laughs> in my house, and I have, a, I have a two year old who can climb on things, and so like I have not been building Lego recently and I felt like I've needed some sort of outlet and so like animal crossing has been phenomenal for that
0: well I'm I'm just g- grateful for the the community but also the opportunity to reach out and say you know what here's a conversation that I absolutely need to have uh, and and I appreciate you humoring me for the amount of time and and for uh, for being here with me at the table I, I just I, I said to this before we were recording that I was looking forward to this all week, and I'm so glad that we got a chance. Um, let me just thank you one more time. Rebecca Coakley is the director of the Disability Justice Initiative at the Center for American Progress at CAP. She was at the national; she was the executive director of the National Council on Disability before that, and she was at the Obama White House. And uh, I will link a piece in her, your your piece last month in the Post um, about the uh, the ableist discussion that we are sometimes having about President Trump. Uh, There's plenty to criticize him about uh, that's not um, how he holds a glass. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for spending so much time with me and for being here at the table.
1: Thank you so much, Jared. This was a blast.